0: To Mid-Wretched. Hello, friends. Welcome Hello, back, friends. Your dumb little Midwestern home of terrible stories. We've had a lot of opes in this introduction. Yeah, we've <laughs> so done this. Far. This is maybe our third or fourth attempt at introducing today's episode. So, And we just keep open
1: out. Yeah. But here we are. Oh. Oh. Here we are. Do you have anything? Any kind of updates or anything that has been tickling your brain in the true crime world that you want to talk about before I get started?
0: There have been like a number of reappearances or like solved cases. Mm -hmm. I was just reading one. It was dated from back in November, like a woman that was kidnapped like 51 years ago, like just through DNA testing, found her parents. Yeah. Yeah, that was was pretty touching. Yeah. There's been a lot of crime here in Chicago, but that's just... Kind of welcome to Chicago. It is, yeah. Well, my real life true crime has had a kind of
1: a conclusion. My person that I know finally took a plea deal. So, will
0: we be covering this case?
1: We will. We will. We will. I, um, part of me wants to wait until her sentencing, but, um, because she's been given like a preliminary sentence, but the judge was very much like, this is the mandatory minimum but i kind of want to do more so we're going to come back and talk about this again in june
0: because it was so fucking premeditated
1: it was extremely premeditated and i think that she got really really lucky with this plea deal and i don't know why she kicked it around for two years before she took it but but yeah we will be talking about that
0: yeah it will involve going beyond the
1: midwest a little bit but then we'll come back to the midwest that's okay that's okay. Yeah, that's where the story starts, at least. We can travel a little bit. Yeah, we can stray from the confines of our flyover states. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't really like to, like, in real
0: life, <laughs> stray from those <laughs> confines, but.
1: What's going on? I I so in
0: there.
1: You were lonely in there?
0: You were. I couldn't Oh, oy
1: vey. Yeah, so we had a brief interruption there when my five year old came up the stairs just crying her eyeballs out because she was too lonely in her room and needed Uh. a hug which turned into several hugs, and then sleeping in my bed. And my husband is lying next to her with a giant glass of wine. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you want to get started? <laughs>
0: Let's try this. All right. Um, attempt number four at starting this episode. Yes,
1: the cursed episode.
0: Uh, I guess, like okay welcome back to midwretched everybody this truly is the cursed episode talked about your true crime reality
1: yeah so my true life true crime um the person that i knew who um killed somebody uh accepted a plea deal a couple weeks ago so that saga will finally be able to tell it pretty soon so now that there's been a bit of a conclusion to it we'll be able to tell that story
0: Soon. I'm excited to hear that whole story cuz I know it is dramatic and ridiculous and It's a lot,
1: just like the person herself to be honest. Yeah. I've been collecting my thoughts about it since the the plea deal came down and just trying to make sure that like I think about it in a way that like like I know a lot about this person like firsthand cuz I I knew her well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of just it's going to be real weird for me. <laughs>
0: But, yeah, let's. You, you, it goes. you know what? We'll cover that case when you are mentally prepared for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll do it soonish because I'm itchy about it. So, so we talked about that, and <laughs> then I heard just like weeping from downstairs, and it's my five year old, and she, uh, she's freshly five. She's been five for a couple weeks, and she is refusing to sleep in her room because it's too lonely in there
0: even so she though this came has been here. her room for years
1: yeah it truly has since we moved into this house <laughs> so she came up here she cuddled up to me she gave you hand hearts for a while and then <laughs> she is currently hopefully asleep in my bed
0: yeah hand yeah. hearts to me but also to you our listeners she was sending them through she the ether was she was <laughs>
1: She's a very loving child when she's not completely losing her shit.
0: <laughs> she is. She she is the sweetest, sweetest, most dramatic little girl.
1: <laughs> she is a triple Pisces, which I'm sure means exactly nothing to you. But to many people in our audience, I'm guessing it will resonate. This child is a Pisces sun, moon, and rising. It's just constant, raw, just feelings like it's always very raw
0: so. so all i know is that a pisces is a water sign because it's a fish and also because mm-hmm. i'm an aquarius and her birthday is like a week after mine mm-hmm. and so i just assume because i'm a very visual person that all water signs have to do with everything just being very turbulent <laughs> and up and down
1: oh wow Man, how much time do you have (laughs) for me to talk about this? Not that much. So, yes, water signs are, um, we tend to think about them as emotions forward, although they all handle this in different ways. Um, The Pisces is the last sign in the zodiac. Mm -hmm. So, if you think about the zodiac as a wheel, the the Pisces is the last sign. It's the 12th sign. So what some of us, and I'm included, think about this as is like the Pisces kind of contains like the knowledge of all 11 signs before it. So it also tends to be a very like wise placement, but high octane on the feelings. So. I
0: think that that would describe your child very well. Mm-hmm. Very it describes wise. her
1: physicality, like big watery eyes, like forward looking all the time like very wise beyond her years
0: I think five-year-old looks like an owl she just she does (laughs) she looks like an owl I mean all of you do but all three of you
1: (laughs) I think she looks the most like an owl right now honestly yeah yeah (laughs) the baby looks very elfin
0: yeah yeah But the five year old is very owlish with the big old eyes and that tiny little nose Mm -hmm. and yeah. And her little like she's got such like pursed little pouty.
1: She's very cute. She's
0: precious. So anyway, after weeks of illness and Mm -hmm. chaos and catastrophe and five year olds and daylight (laughs) savings time. And there was probably a full moon in there. I don't know. There was
1: a full moon in Virgo, which should have been good for me, but.
0: I mean, Uh. it's been like three, four weeks. So, of course, there was a full moon. But.
1: (laughs) Actually, it was good for me because I got a billion job offers and I've been spitting out about them. Anyway.
0: Anyway, um, after all of that, here we are today to finally bring you the story of the missing skeleton boys.
1: That's right. We are here for that. I've got wine. I've got kombucha. I've got a story. Let's do this. Are you ready? All right. I'm going to start us off with a quote. We are going to be looking into the story of the Skelton brothers, who were three little boys that went missing from Michigan in 2010. I'm going to start with a quote from their father, John Skelton, which he furnished in an interview in 2018. He says this, I did the wrong thing for the right reasons the wrong way. And it was one of those things at the time I was willing to pay the price. And I did. So I i mean, John Skelton has furnished
0: many interviews, all of them as ominous as that.
1: Yeah, he has a particularly close relationship with Sandra Ali from WDIV News in Detroit, um, and she is a source of many, many good interviews with him. Uh, and it's been interesting to see kind of over time how he's kind of struck up like a particular relationship kind of with her, um, as a media presence, not an, obviously like an interpersonal real relationship, but like a, a professional relationship. Um, and she's someone that he's willing to talk to periodically, uh, from, well, we'll get there. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> So, with that framework, I'm going to take us back to Thanksgiving of 2010. All right, we are in the space of time after Thanksgiving dinner on 2010. Uh, separated spouses Tanya Zuvers and John Skelton have just had Thanksgiving dinner with all three of their little boys. Um, and even though they were separated, they did manage to have a holiday dinner together. Their three little boys were nine-year-old Andrew, who was an avid gamer loved like tv games anything to do with like a screen like so many
0: of our boys today
1: (laughs) he was a real sweetie pie and then the middle boy alexander was kind of considered like the the uh, risk taker the adventurer the quote-unquote all boy of the crew lots of close calls with broken bones and stuff like that (laughs) um just a kind of a rough and tumble little boy and then the youngest was five-year-old Tanner, who is described as creative and loquacious, a little boy that would just, if you were willing to listen to him, would just sit you down and ha- tell you story after story after story. He was known for saying, like telling you a story and then saying, I'm just pulling your leg, <laughs> which if you picture coming from a five-year-old boy is just about the cutest damn thing uh, I can possibly imagine. Their stories never
0: make sense, but they're always so cute. I know.
1: I know. <laughs> So, um, I just kind of want to set that scene. We're in Morency, Michigan. Or Morency, Michigan. I always put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Morency. Um, We're in Morency, Michigan. Morency, Michigan is an itty-bitty little town. We're going to talk more about it geographically a little bit later. Um, But it's just an itty-bitty little town. Another one of these. It seems like we're in one of these every week. Like another Mm -hmm. kind of drive-through little town uh, in southern Michigan. So, the dinner took place at John's house, and Tanya was leaving the three boys with John for the night, uh, and then she was going to pick them up the next day, which was Black Friday. Or, sorry, that John was going to drop them off at her house the next day. Their houses were so close to each other, in fact, that Tanya could see John's driveway, like, from her front porch. Mm -hmm. so they were living very very close to each other their co-parenting was not harmonious we're also going to talk about that but on that black friday the drop-off time came and went with no word from john and obviously no sign of the boys Mm -hmm. it was very clear right away that something was wrong there was no call no text messages nothing Right away, Tanya called the police, reporting that John and the boys were nowhere to be seen that they had missed their drop-off time. Not too long after that call, it uh, was revealed that John was actually in Ohio, which was very nearby. So Mm -hmm. he was in uh, a nearby Ohio hospital. He went there after making a strange Facebook post that read, I love my wife, may God and Tanya forgive me, and subsequently attempting to hang himself, resulting in an injured ankle. What he told the police was extremely bizarre. He told the police that the boys were handed off to an acquaintance named Joanne Taylor to take them somewhere that they would, quote, be safe. Mm-hmm. Yes. An amber alert was issued that day. Morenci police chief Larry Weeks would begin to spearhead what would turn into a multi-year search for the three little boys. So that sets us in space. And from there, as always, we have the same essential questions. How did we get here, and where are we going?
0: Oh, we're going places.
1: We are going places. We're going to talk about how we got here first, though. Okay. So Tanya and John both came to their relationship with pretty extensive and complicated histories. Uh, Both had significantly older children from previous relationships, like adult children. um, And they actually started their relationship as friends. They met at a party um, and later became roommates and eventually uh, grew into a romantic relationship. Tanya was pregnant with Andrew uh, before the pair got married, uh, but they got married very quickly after finding out that she was pregnant, mm-hmm. and they got married right there in Marinci. Uh Tanya was raised in Morency, and John had been there for quite a while, enough to, to feel and be like a local, uh, even though he was raised actually quite far away in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, Morenci, like I said, is very much what I would think of as kind of a cutesy-bootsy drive-through town. <laughs> it has a population of 2,200. It has, I keep seeing this meme on like the Midwest versus everybody Facebook page where it's like, um, <laughs> Midwest towns, colon, come check out our cute, quaint downtown and then it's a picture of, like, every Midwestern quaint downtown. Like right? a Taco Bell and a Kroger. Well, no, no. It's the same, okay. like, the same five historic buildings, like, uh-huh. that look exactly the same way. And that's Marinci. That Beaver Creek's exactly, downtown was a Taco Bell and a Kroger. Ah, no. Like, my downtown. Like, when I saw the meme the first time, I was like, is that my downtown? It wasn't.
0: But they all fucking look like this. That meme was targeted at you. It that also, that also looks like my current suburbs downtown. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep.
1: And uh, that's, I just like, I think about that meme when I think about Morenci. Like, it very much has that feel to it. Like, uh, there's cute stuff there. There's like, you know, quaint restaurants and antique shops and stuff like that. But not a whole hell of a lot going on. Uh, it is in Lenaway County, Michigan. It is 95 miles southwest of Detroit and 40 miles northwest of Toledo, Ohio. Uh, Morency just sits right on the Ohio border. So Mm -hmm. uh, the city limits to the south borders Williams County, Ohio. It's also like they've got signs on their roadways that say like the gateway to Pure Michigan (laughs) because you would get there from Ohio. Um, although no major highways go straight through Morenci so I don't know why they're like clinging to that necessarily but
0: whatever. No there's I was gonna say to me the gateway to Pier Michigan is literally straight through Toledo
1: Mm -hmm. Um, it's like
0: Luna Pier yeah. Yeah. That's what I think of as too but whatever I mean your town's gotta have something right? You you gotta have something but no damn it is right on the border I didn't realize it was literally the border
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it is so you know like for John to be like I said earlier, like in a hospital in Ohio was not unusual. It would be a lot easier to do like your shopping and your healthcare stuff like in Bryan, Ohio or Montpelier, Ohio than it would be to the nearest like decent sized town in Michigan, which would be Adrian. So yeah, it's right, just right tucked under that little, the little, you know, where the mitten meets the sleeve of the rest of the country. <laughs> so. Was he in the Toledo hospitals? I know um, it actually was not like publicly stated what hospital he was in, but there's a small hospital in Bryan. I assume that's where he was.
0: Oh, okay, okay,
1: Yeah. So um, I don't know if you can splice in. I should have given like a content warning that we'd be talking about suicide.
0: Uh, I'll try to splice it in at the beginning. We have so much other shit here. Yeah, we do. Let's just keep going so did you know uh, so i read it i read an article i'm totally going to cut you off i read an article about content warnings that they have been found to do literally no good or bad
1: i am not really surprised by that honestly like i've never turned away from a show after being given a content warning even for stuff that is like explicitly triggering for me usually because i'm seeking out that content in the first place
0: they actually have been found to increase anxiety in the immediate but no change after, like, the information is presented. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway.
1: Yeah, I want to think about that more. And I have a tangent, but I'm not going to go down it. So- <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> so um, all that to say, Morenci is a real quiet, chill place to raise a family. Uh, the pair raised their boys in Morenci up until that Thanksgiving in 2010, though their relationship would turn acrimonious a little bit earlier that year. So in September of that year, Tanya filed for a divorce from John, which not only was, I think, the beginning, the like notable beginning of the end to their marriage, obviously, mm-hmm. it also seemed to be the beginning of a major downshift for John. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about his personality in a little bit, but it certainly seemed like it... It triggered something. It triggered him. It, it amped him up. It, it shifted things for him uh, in a pretty significant way. Uh, interestingly, I thought this was really interesting. It's not super important. They both tried to retain the same lawyer, <laughs> but Tanya got to them first. How <laughs> so, many lawyers are in Morency? <laughs> I know it was actually in Adrian, which has like you know a decent. It's, there's a college there. There's stuff to do, but whatever. Um, so Tanya went to get the papers and and kind of begin the process. And in doing so, at the same time, was filing for temporary full custody of the boys okay while this was figured out i will say that michigan for being a blue state is surprisingly and shockingly conservative when it comes to
0: family law uh michigan is pretty purple
1: (laughs) i it is now i just more
0: purple than i like to admit yeah
1: well for a historically progressive state i'll say um
0: i michigan is a lot like illinois where there are the majority of the population is very blue and very mm-hmm. condensed. Yeah, very focused in one area. Yeah. I've yeah. been thinking about that a lot lately,
1: actually, for other reasons. But in Michigan, I just like I put that out there to say that Michigan Family Court is still was then and even now, by and large, is still favoring the mother mm-hmm. in most custody situations at a default, whereas someplace like Indiana, the default is 50-50 until you prove that that cannot work which Um, should be every state it should uh, but michigan's not doing it that way michigan is
0: also an alimony state Mm um uh, yeah go ahead yeah michigan's a tough place to get divorced
1: (laughs) so tanya's got her papers and she and her sister are on her on their way to go deliver the papers to john back in morency but while they were at the lawyer's office in adrian he had actually picked up the boys from school and was peeling out of their driveway on Congress Street in Morenci when Tanya and her sister pulled up with the papers. Mm. He took the three boys, and he fled to Florida. <sighs> yeah. yeah. They they did make it to Florida, but they did not stay long. Uh Law enforcement very quickly intervened and got the boys safely back uh, to Michigan and to Tanya. Uh, they were able to, by whatever stroke of luck with the the paperwork push everything through so that the boys had to be turned over to Tanya
0: in my experience when there are cases like that where there is like a, a custody arrangement and non-parental or non-custodial kidnapping mm-hmm. they push that through fucking very immediately quickly. Yeah. yeah it was uh, obviously a very extreme situation from the get go yeah. Um, And
1: this situation in September was the beginning of a short but very bitter custody battle. Mm -hmm. Tanya retained that primary custody, um, but she was amicable enough on her side that she didn't fight like supervised visits or anything like that. Mm -hmm. All of the visits between September and November between the boys and John were supervised or attended by Tanya but they did still have occasional gatherings together just like the thanksgiving that they had
0: which I can appreciate cuz that's yeah. that's not always easy it's not
1: but i think yeah it's not easy but you know i think you saw you saw tanya in those couple of months like just really trying to figure out how to make this work mm-hmm. and how to make it you know i think that their their relationship was tumultuous it was at issue Uh, It was not looking good, but I don't think, I didn't get any sense from anything that I read or um, watched or listened to from Tanya that she ever intended to keep the boys from John. Mm -hmm. She didn't um, feel threatened by John as far as safety for the boys or anything like that prior to this Thanksgiving. So Mm -hmm. it's not as though she was like trying to keep the boys from ever seeing John, but she did have that sole primary custody.
0: It feels like their issues were very much between them, mm-hmm. and she was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt even after the Florida incident.
1: Yes. And by all accounts, those boys were very well-loved. Um, teachers, family, friends on both sides, you know, would say that the boys were well-loved, well-taken-care-of, supported. Um, they didn't have any kind of, like, behaviors that would make you think, oh, there's something going on in that home. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I think it's fair to say that Tanya, for um, for her part, and John, maybe for a little bit of his part, certainly put care for the boys at the forefront of of their of their relationship and their dealings with each other.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So Tanya and John, they both, like I said before, had some pretty significant baggage. John's life up until. November 2010 was not super notable or interesting. He was raised in Jacksonville, Florida, moved up to Michigan as an adult, uh, likely for work, had no prior brushes with the law, anything like that. But he was viewed by many to have um, a very manipulative personality, that he was the type to kind Mm -hmm. of corner you in a conversation, um, to try to kind of get you to say certain things, or to kind of manipulate social situations and people. Often to suit his aims, but sometimes just to amuse him.
0: Oh, that's mm-hmm. unpleasant.
1: Yeah. He's described as unstable in relationships prior to Tanya. Uh, I saw one source that called him smarmy, yeah. which I I always appreciate use of that word. I um, do, too,
0: because it tells me a lot about a person.
1: It does, yeah. And I thought this was interesting. Uh, many, many people described him as a very smart man, but not as smart as he thinks he is. Hmm. Which I think kind of goes hand-in-hand with that, like, manipulative streak as well, right?
0: I can imagine many people I've known in my life that are (laughs) like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you don't go through as much, like, post-secondary schooling as either of us have and not know, like, a billion people like that, right? Oh, my God, right? Yeah. Um, So Tanya, on the other hand, um, she enjoyed and still does enjoy a reputation for being a good mom, uh, a hard-working person. But the big kind of dark mark in her life was that she has a felony record.
0: I was say, there's uh, an elephant in the room when it comes to mom.
1: There's a real big elephant in the room when it comes to Tanya. In the, but, well, I'll say this. Mm-hmm. It's the elephant in the room for the story in many ways. But yeah. it's never actually been an elephant in the room for Tanya or in her mm-hmm. marriage to John. Mm-hmm. Uh, she disclosed from the get-go, pretty much as soon as their relationship turned serious, that in the 1990s she was convicted for having sex with a minor a 14-year-old boy.
0: Do we know how old she was when that happened?
1: Um, I mean, just knowing how old she is, like...
0: Because this was 2010 at the time of the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, well into her 20s, probably close to okay. 30. Okay. So okay. she was not, it's, it's not like she was like 18 and he was 14. Like, That's she was, she was a whole-ass adult, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I always wondered, because like I, I, I've heard, I've, you know, listened to documentaries, and they always mention, like, oh, this happened in the past, blah, 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 but nobody ever mentions how old she actually was when it happened, and I was yeah. just curious.
1: Well, let me just crunch these numbers real
0: quick. Because, to... like, 14 is young. Yes, it is. It truly, And I can really be is. like, okay, if you were 18, maybe 19, and I can be like, that was fucked up, but I hope you learned your lesson. Yeah. Um, but being a whole ass adult really does to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, she was certainly at least 20. So certainly an, an adult. An yeah. Adult. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, she, and she was a registered sex offender as a result of that conviction. I, I think it was one of those situations where it was like a limited term on the registry. i um, yeah. not like a lifetime of registrant, but yeah, she certainly had this on her record. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did disclose that, like I said before, To John, this was not a secret. This was not a secret, I think, between her and pretty much anybody else. She won't talk about why she did it or what the circumstances were around it, but she won't lie and say it didn't happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. This fact in her past, though, would be a major piece of fuel that John would use against her Mm -hmm. when their fights got especially ugly and bitter.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's the past as we... As we've come to know it. And so I'm going <laughs> to kind of bring us back to November 26, 2010. So we're in this hospital room in Ohio. It's Black Friday, November 26, 2010. John is at the hospital for an injured or broken ankle. It's not clear if he actually broke it. And how he got that injury, as he reports, was that he claimed to have hurt himself when the noose he had fashioned for himself and affixed to a stairwell did not hold. So essentially he fell out of the noose or the noose broke or whatever and he fell and broke his ankle or hurt his ankle. Mm -hmm. At the home, police did find the rope. Uh, They also found a bullet and unclear of its use, it was not cataloged as a spent round or anything like that, but a bullet was found in the home and the noose was found in the home. And that's it as far as physical evidence in the home, or at least that's been told to the public.
0: Hmm.
1: If there was any physical evidence in the home, it has not been shared. My hunch is that there wasn't any more. Mm-hmm. I say that because typically, I would say more than half the time, you'll hear um, there was physical evidence in the, in the home. We're not disclosing for reasons of not jeopardizing our investigation, right? Yeah. yeah. You'll hear a verbiage like that. There was not then any verbiage around that the closest police have come to say is that they have their reasons for believing what they believe happened um but that's a much different thing from saying we have evidence and we're just not telling you
0: i know it's just so unsatisfying it is it is
1: um but you know whether or not there was more evidence there what was very clear was that those boys were just gone there was not any Certainly not stated. I don't believe there actually was any evidence of a struggle in the home other than the circumstances immediately surrounding the noose. So like I said, my hunch is that there was not any like physical evidence of a struggle um, or a physical altercation in the house with the boys. What was there was that the house was described as, quote, destroyed. Details about that I don't believe have been furnished beyond that, but I take that to mean it looks ransacked
0: yeah things were broken like glass or whatever was all over the house like it looked like somebody had just ransacked it yeah yeah but none that nothing that could lead to specific evidence no blood no right yeah
1: and i do i hold a space of curiosity for that like in my brain too because some saying that a house is like destroyed or looks ransacked As much as that, like, we want to believe that that's clear, I think can be extremely subjective, especially if we're talking about a depressed man with three little boys. Mm -hmm. That the state of your home is certainly not going to be immaculate. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been in houses of people with many children who have some difficulty wrangling those children and have, like, blinked slowly several times thinking, what the hell happened in this house? Right? Right. (laughs) so i just put that out there too that like when when we hear that the house has been destroyed or appears ransacked maybe it was or maybe it's a house with a depressed father and three little boys in it
0: i mean i have simply looked at my office after doing a testing session with a particularly hyperactive or dysregulated kid and it looks Mm like ransacked yeah so i think without pictures Mm-hmm. Or like specific details, it's hard to kind of know how to judge that. And also, yeah. if it looked like ransacked or destroyed, but there's no blood evidence, there's mm-hmm. no whatever. There was one bullet that, and no gun, and no details about the bullet. Then it's mm-hmm. hard to dra- draw any conclusions about that.
1: It is. It's. I find that just. Yeah, like it's hard to draw any conclusions from it. I think it can mean a lot of different things from different people. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think it was clear that John, especially in this space of time, had a lot of trouble regulating himself. Mm-hmm. And dysregulated adults will almost always yield dysregulated children. Ooh, yes. So, you know, I mean, I think it's important. It's important information, and we need to hold it in our – You know, on our shelf of stuff going on in this case. But I also, I I just like, I wonder if it kind of signals more about, like, John's mental health than it does anything else.
0: And we know his mental health was not great.
1: Mm -mm. So a search right away, obviously, would begin. that Amber Alert came out basically immediately. Um, I remember this case so vividly. I had dreams for weeks about this case. Mm-hmm. When it first happened, I had pretty much just moved here. I was only here for a year at that point. And growing up in Detroit, I feel like when you grow up in like a huge urban center, the rest of your state is this like amorphous thing that doesn't really exist to you, right? <laughs> um, like I had never really seen like cows before, you know, stuff like that even though Michigan has like plenty of farming. Until um, you
0: came to visit me in Ohio and I took Yeah, you to the dairy and I was like, farm. "What
1: is this?"
0: <laughs> and I was like, "We feed them."
1: Like, we're going to milk it? No, thank you. <laughs> so So, like in this space of time was when I was kind of getting used to like living in a much smaller city. And becoming really familiar with a lot of these little drive through towns kind of on Mm -hmm. my way back and forth, you know, from South Bend to Detroit. And there was something about... And this... I mean, I was, you know, very 21, like, very young. Like, I had no... I guess I just turned 22. Like, I didn't have any of that, like, the mother pang that I have now or anything Mm -hmm. like that. But for some reason, even though Morancy is not that close to, like, where I live in South Bend, it just hit hard i mean it's three missing little boys um you could tell they were well cared for from their pictures it was a certainly a media
0: firestorm i think in this area article after article i might have been in toledo when this happened mm. because it happened thanksgiving weekend well, thanksgiving, yeah mm-hmm. so and that's for our listeners that's where my extended family lives and where i spent a lot of holidays Mm-hmm. I might have been driving through, honestly, at that time.
1: Yeah, and if you were ever if you were on the eighty ninety doing that back mm-hmm. and forth, you were basically in the backyard of, of this crime taking place. Yeah. So
0: I remember um, hearing it on the radio when. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I just
1: you know I just put that out there to say that like this is it was at the time an extremely striking case, and I think obviously still is, but that even as like a very young person, it got under my skin so much that I literally was having like repeated nightmares for weeks about Mm -hmm. these little boys. Mm -hmm. Um, It just really warmed its way into my psyche. And so the way that it warmed its way into my psyche was intense and the search was likewise intense. So uh, there's an immediate physical ground search. This area is obviously a lot of farmland. There's also just like a couple of kind of little parks and um, nature preserves that kind of dot the area as well. And then you're basically kind of just right brushing up against the Ohio Turnpike, mm-hmm. the eighty ninety. So there's just a lot of ground to cover. Uh, there was a ground search right away, an air search, dogs, everything that could be brought out to search, huge search parties uh, brought out for uh, Intimarency and the surrounding areas. In the initial interviews with John, even as early as at the hospital, John revealed to Larry Weeks and his colleagues that he had given the boys to an, quote, acquaintance named Joanne Taylor. Mm-hmm. He claimed that he gave the boys to Joanne Taylor to get them away from Tanya's physical and sexual abuse. Right away, the obviously the police dug into this name as soon as and as quickly as they could. The Joanne Taylor story was also particularly interesting because within about um, 15 days, on December tenth, 2010, in Sandusky, Ohio, there was an alleged sighting of the three boys. Uh, a proprietor at a donut shop would come forward and say that she thought that she saw the three boys in the company of a haggard-looking middle-aged woman and that it was notable to her because the woman was like with the little boys at the donut shop and that she heard the woman say, just pick out your donut, Tanner. And Tanner obviously being the name of the youngest little boy. When the sighting happened, they were not super aware of this case, but as more media kind of came out, they were, so they weren't able to say precisely what day that they felt Mm -hmm. like they saw this. But the fact that it was a middle-aged woman uh, seemed to line up with John's story about Joanne Taylor.
0: Yeah, and I think if I remember, like, she didn't know the case, and it was just for whatever weird reason, the family stood out to her at this donut shop.
1: Yeah, I mean, as she, I saw an interview with her. I believe she said that the boys kind of seemed uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, and that the woman was, like, notably haggard, like that she looked exhausted, perhaps unwell. And I kind of wonder if that made it stick out to her, too, just that um, the woman looked, like, not just harried in the way that, We all look harried when we're, like, toting little kids around, but... Around the the holidays, toting kids Mm -hmm. across the state, yeah. Yeah, but, like, particularly and notably haggard and unkempt. Yeah. So, was this truly a sighting of the three boys, and
0: was this woman Joanne Taylor? And, like, Sandusky is, God, what, two hours away? Mm Mm-hmm, give or take, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. two hours away from this town in Michigan. Mm Mm-hmm. So, two hours... East, east, yeah, two
1: hours east. Yeah, so you're moving, you know, uh, through eastern Ohio, getting closer at that point to Pennsylvania. Um, but it's certainly still along that like I 90 corridor, mm hmm. So, certainly, it would be like a conceivable stopping point. Yeah, totally it's an easy drive,
0: expected drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, n- nothing. And I think it was interesting that it was Sandusky because it was like, okay, like that's not that far away. Sandusky is like, the highway doesn't run through town, but it's close, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of begs the question like, if this was a legit sighting, uh, were the boys, at least at that time, centered in Sandusky? Mm-hmm. The problem was, upon investigation, there was no Joanne Taylor. Mm -hmm. they could not find a Joanne Taylor with any involvement to this case, any connection to John Skelton. What was revealed of Joanne Taylor was extremely odd. Tanya had at some points in the months prior interacted with a Joanne Taylor on the mom social media site Cafe Mom. The account (laughs) belonged to John.
0: What? Mm -hmm. Okay, I have never heard this part of this.
1: Yeah, so the account was able to be traced back to John's computer usage. So what this implies is that John was using the Joanne Taylor identity to communicate with Tanya in the months leading up to this case. Wow. The why there, I think we could speculate on indefinitely. I think that there's a possibility that he was just kind of fucking with her or that he just wanted contact with her in some kind of innocuous way more darkly was he trying to build kind of like a paper trail, so to speak, um, of Joanne Taylor. I saw one um, kind of op-ed commentary that um, pointed out that it was interesting that Joanne, the way that John spelled it, was uh, without an E at the end, so J-O-A-N-N, and that that being very close to the spelling of his mom's name, which is Roxanne, without an E on the end. And there was yeah. some speculation that, like, when we come up with, like, fake names for things, we stick to stuff that's in the neighborhood of names that we already know.
0: Okay, sure. I don't know if there's
1: any validity to that, but...
0: it. Do we know anything about the exchanges that they had on Cafe Mom? That they were, like, completely uninteresting, <laughs> so... Okay, okay. Um,
1: And I, <laughs> I, I don't know what Cafe Mom looked
0: like um in i early know, 2000 in the 2010s yeah i, don't know. I mean like it's now ba- it's basically like a trash website it's just yeah it's news. like little
1: articles like 27 ways to please your man with a yeah. KitchenAid mixer um <laughs> 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 can get kinky with that pasta attachment um but i back then it was like forums right like i could go on yeah. there and post like my five-year-old won't eat their peas. Like, what advice do you have? Um, And it was mostly like a forum-based situation is my understanding.
0: So I think what that means is that they maybe went back and forth on some message boards at some point. I'm on Cafe Mom right now, and the first article that popped up is 20 slang sayings teen use and what teens use and what they mean. Oh, boy. (laughs) Sounds lit. Oh, finally, an explanation for bussing. (laughs)
1: <laughs> what you've been waiting for this whole time
0: <laughs> that's that's really interesting to me though because I know that they they searched his computer looking for okay did you email this Joanne Taylor because he's like oh yeah it's just I just met her mm-hmm. and we just talked online and so they were looking for emails or you know message boards or anything between him and her and they i know that they did not find anything there was nothing
1: yeah there was no trace of any kind of conversation between john himself and joanne taylor Mm -hmm. there was trace of conversation between the fake joanne taylor and tanya but while Mm -hmm. we're on the subject of john's technology use it gets darker from there So the physical search kind of in the first few days um, after the disappearance was centered, like I said, largely in like rural areas. Um, Mm -hmm. When the search kind of really kicked up, they started to focus on Harrison Lake State Park, which is just across the border. In Ohio, Mm -hmm. it's just a small state park. Simultaneously, John's computer data would reveal some pretty suspicious Google searches. He searched Mm -hmm. two things that were notable. Killing with rat poison... And the question, can you break someone's neck with your bare hands? When asked about these searches, John said that he was watching a karate movie with the boys and that these Google searches were attempts to answer their questions about what was going on in the movie.
0: The breaking a neck, that one, I believe. Mm hmm. Having been around enough boys of this age, oh, totally. that they yeah. were ar- they would argue about this. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I've done but that this, too. Like, is this was what I'm watching plausible? Right?
0: Oh, oh, a hundred, a hundred fucking percent. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the amalgamation of things makes it really like.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. And there were a couple of variants of killing with rat poison. It was like, can you kill someone with rat poison? Killing with rat poison. Killing a person with rat poison. Um, So these were pretty explicit searches.
0: And in 2010, I don't think Google did that much autocomplete of your searches. I don't think it did any of it. I think that you would have had to type in the whole thing.
1: (laughs) I I think the autocomplete has been a beautiful, beautiful addendum that we've seen in the last maybe five years or so.
0: That means that you had to type those in fully. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that the boys were, what, between, like, 5 and 10? Yeah, 5 and Mm 9. Yeah, 5 and 9. I don't think that they would have come up with that many iterations of that.
1: Yeah. And, like, obviously when you're searching that many iterations of the same basic idea, Mm -hmm. it's because you're not satisfied with the results you're getting from their first search.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: So you're finding other ways to look for the same information or look for more detailed information. Because I'm sure if you search killing with rat poison, you're going to come up with a bunch of stuff that's about killing rats. So then killing a person with rat poison is going to take you down a different, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the other thing that's really important to look at at this point is John's cell phone data. Mm-hmm. John's cell phone data is pivotal to understanding or at least building any kind of framework of what may have happened here. So... John's cell phone data revealed that his cell phone left his house at 4.29 a.m. early that morning on Black Friday. The phone then pinged in Holiday City, Ohio at 5 a.m. and then 5.05 and then pings again back at his home in Morenci at 6.46. Okay. So we're going to think about that for a minute. You've got, it's a little over two hours, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about two hours and 15 minutes or so um and so we have
0: between holiday oh sorry go ahead no
1: holiday city is very very close so what we're working with here is it's a two hour and 15 minute approximate window right Mm -hmm. two hours and 17 minutes um holiday city is about a half an hour away Mm -hmm. and it's a scant half an hour Holiday City, I want to talk about Holiday City for a minute here before we just kind of continue to dig into that timeline, because I want yeah. you to understand what Holiday City, Ohio is. A street. It is a street. It. There are no <laughs> holidays in Holiday City, Ohio. It is not like a festive town. Um, Holiday City has a population of 52. Yeah. It is what I call a toll road town. Yes. So, you know, you you got the toll road running through northern Ohio here. Holiday City, and I'm pretty sure I've peed here before, but I can't be sure, is basically one street, a number of hotels, maybe a couple of places to eat, a Menards warehouse that the warehouse alone is six times as large as the city itself. Oh, my God. And a lot of open space. Wow. It is a very run-down town. These are not like, it's not like a nice, a particularly like nice place to stop off. It's not necessarily sketchy, although some do say that it is. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, But it's not, (laughs) you don't go to Holiday City, Ohio. You might spend the night in Holiday City, Ohio because you're a long haul trucker. um, And there are several hotels there. Um, And I-90 is America's longest highway. So if you're a long haul trucker and you got to stop. Holiday City is as good a place as any. Um, that's what this town is built for. It's built to be a stop.
0: Yeah, that's all it I, is. I have gotten off uh, Holiday City to try to get gas, and I got scared and got back. Home. <laughs> <laughs> there are a
1: couple <laughs> of gas stations. I should have added that.
0: <laughs> yes, yes,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's um, so. Why were you
0: scared? It. I don't like small towns. Mm. They. They. They just. Scare the fuck out of me. I saw the Hills Have Eyes one too many times mm. when I was way too young. Between you that and Children of the Corn, you're just out. Yes. Yes. The the fucking last house on the left, all of those, I just mm. can't. Mm-hmm. So every time you
1: come to my house, you're like, eh. <laughs> 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 okay, that's why I'm coming to you next weekend.
0: Anyway. So. Yeah, no. No offense, Holiday City. I'm sure you have. 52 wonderful people yeah. there.
1: I, yeah, I think so. But some people do say that Holiday City is is shady. Mm-hmm. Why they say that is basically because of like kind of like the low key criminal activity that's often associated with the trucking industry. Yeah. Um, we're talking drugs and sex work and obviously being a stopover town for mostly long haul truckers. If, if we track that, right, mm-hmm. that that may be what gives it that quality. If nothing else, it has an extremely transient quality to it. It definitely, like, does not feel like some place that people live. 52 Mm -hmm. people do live there, but it doesn't feel like it when you're there, you know? Yeah. There are other places to go in Williams County, Ohio, that are decidedly more charming. Mm -hmm. Um, Brian and Montpelier are close by towns that are both a lot like Morenci. Brian's a little bit bigger than that, but would have, like, a cute park and places to eat and, and stuff to do. Holiday City is not that. So why would John go there in those hours of the morning?
0: It really is a random location because when we say there is like 52 people there, there's there really is nothing. Mm -hmm. Like there's no restaurants. There's no shopping. There's there's not a lot of reason to go to Holiday City. Yeah, this is one where I would really
1: encourage people to take a stop, take a pause and do like a Google Street View to really understand what we mean here. Like it just it seems even odd to me to call it like a a city like it really like but it exists to be a place to stop. Right. Mm-hmm. The gas stations are big. The there are a few hotels, like I said, uh, that's what it's for. So. But this is not some place that one would go, certainly not at 430 in the morning to be leaving your house and arriving there at five o'clock. So if we track that cell phone data, he, with or without the boys, got into his blue minivan and drove to Holiday City, stayed there for a little over an hour and was home before the sun was up. Mm hmm. The other possibility is that he got to Holiday City, turned off his phone, or it died, and then powered it back on at home at 6.56. There are no pings between Holiday City and Morenci. I um, I don't find that too suspicious. I think it's just such a rural area.
0: Yeah, um, I don't think there's many towers to ping yeah, off of. Yeah,
1: I just think it's, it's very rural. Um, so this window of time is what is obviously considered by investigators to be the most crucial missing mm-hmm. puzzle piece to figure it out. John denies all of it. What he says over and over and over again was that the boys were given to a person or persons who would keep them safe. Initially, he said Joanne Taylor. When that was debunked, he said that it was two men and a woman that he gave them to, and he didn't have any names. There are two routes to Holiday City from Morenci, basically. One would be to to grab the toll road uh, and the other one along country roads. There's no I-pass data that's known, so if John took the toll road, he paid cash.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They would roughly take the same amount of time, so um, he wouldn't be picking one for speed over the other one. Mm-hmm. Investigators believe that he took the turnpike, and a blue minivan was observed on the turnpike at the, in this time frame, uh, and this would be the main reason that they believe he took the turnpike.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. A blue minivan. There's a bajillion of them. Right, yeah. It's not it's not as though it was like photographed
1: with his license plate on it.
0: Exactly, but. exactly. Like, okay, believe it, but there's no Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: in this window of time is when investigators believe that John did whatever he did with those boys.
0: Yeah.
1: That would finish up what we knew in two thousand ten. In December, John was tried and convicted of three counts of felony parental kidnapping. three counts of kidnapping and three counts of unlawful imprisonment those charges were based on not returning the boys at the designated time for the custodial switch they
0: get imprisonment for that one Mm -hmm.
1: if you're if you're trying to throw the book at somebody yeah
0: okay okay. Uh, and i think they were trying to throw
1: the book to get him to talk
0: yeah understandable
1: yeah uh he ended up pleading no contest to the law unlawful imprisonment charge and so the remaining charges were dropped Okay. So uh, since this conviction, he has been uh, up for parole a couple of times. Both attempts denied. Uh, he didn't come to his last hearing, which was in 2021. Um, he just didn't show up for it. So he'll be released in 2025, so two years.
0: Okay, I was about to ask. Like He got sentenced in 2011 or 2010. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he'll be released soon. Yeah, he'll be out in, in two years. I Okay. Mm-hmm. I have thoughts, but I'm going to hold until you're done. <laughs> well, tell me your thoughts. I think it's okay to
1: share those thoughts.
0: I I will be fascinated because spoilers: the boys have have not been found. Mm-hmm. Um, he has maintained that they are alive and that they are with whoever he doesn't know. He gave them to. I would be fascinated what information he reveals after he is released, if anything.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, this entire time he's maintained the same, ba- well, in 2010, 2011, he maintained the same basic story. Mm. Um, at his sentencing hearing, which was in September 2011, it took a little bit of time. Uh, he told Judge Margaret Noe that he cried every day since he last saw his sons and that he wished he had done things differently and that he felt the system had failed him.
0: What, what failed him?
1: Well, so this is the interesting thing, right? So there have never been any CPS reports against either parent, Um, no suspicion from anybody of any kind of abuse or wrongdoing between the adults and the boys. So what system failed, John? I, I think that he's probably referring to family court, but it's not clear.
0: Yeah, because like that, that has always been my thing is like he, his whole story hedges on Tanya was abusing the kids Mm -hmm. and that's why I had to do all of this. But at no point does he ever report it to CPS, report it to the police, make a claim in court Mm -hmm. during any of the custody hearings or anything. There's nothing on record of Mm -hmm. him accusing Tanya of abuse. No, nothing. And no record of anybody else accusing
1: her of it either.
0: And no record of the boys saying anything, needing therapy, no mental health issues, no even Mm -mm. implications.
1: Yeah, I think up until September and the kidnapping to Florida, I think by all accounts outside of, and I think probably within their small family as well, it all just looked very like, typical divorce family or typical separation family yeah some they had acrimony between the parents yep. some drama some you know a little bit of like bullshit between like extended family you know like tanya's sister was kind of feisty you know towards john stuff like that but just like extremely typical mid-american divorced family up until that fall is what it sounded like to me
0: i know that like he had kept trying to get back together with Tanya. Yes. Tanya. Yes. He wanted to make it work. And I think even that night before Thanksgiving or the next day, he had, like, asked, like, do you think we could get, get back together? And mm-hmm. Tanya tried to, like, we'll see kind of thing. Yeah.
1: and it, But it was all very back and forth, too. Like, there was another um, anecdote that Tanya tells about how, like, a couple of months earlier in, like, early fall or late summer that John had, like, changed his Facebook relationship status from married to it's complicated mm-hmm. and that she called him and was like it would have been nice for you to tell your wife that <laughs> so, so facebook so early 2000's oh my facebook. gosh so very much but i do why do people change their relationship statuses on facebook for attention because they want
0: other people to know yeah yep mm-hmm. they want feedback
1: right i'm or you want to bait a particular person Right, <laughs> so it's either that, like, or it's both, right? The, oh, you have the comments. The, oh, I'm so sorry to hear this. Or what happened? What happened? Um, or it's to get Tanya to say what the fuck, right? Hmm. Either way, it's attention-seeking behavior.
0: Uh huh.
1: Yeah. So I, I also want to read you this quote, um, just because I think Margaret Noe is a badass. She's the judge in Lenaway County. Uh, at the sentencing hearing, when John says that he cries every day, he wished that things were different, the system has failed him. She says this. For months, I have asked you to return, Andrew, Alexander, and Tanner. You have refused to answer me truthfully. I've asked you to tell me where the children are located. You have refused, telling one conflicting story after another to explain their circumstances since they were last seen. Your explanations have been ridiculous, albeit more sad than anything else. Like
0: stick it to him, girlfriend. Fuck yeah. Like wh- what else can you say in this situation? Like it's mm. getting worse and worse and it yeah. Yeah. So we're
1: about to get into the true spiraling of this case. So in 2010 to 11, uh, 12, this is about the status quo that we're at. John is sent to Bellamy Creek Corrections, which is in Ionia, Michigan. He's in in jail. This mm-hmm. he's sticking to the story. But he's, you know, he says kind of odd things here and there. Uh, along the way, somewhere in those years, Larry Weeks takes a job elsewhere on uh, the western side of the state. The case gets turned over to Michigan State Police. It's headed up by Detective Lieutenant Jeremy Brewer, uh, who ends up very involved with John, who attempted regularly and still attempts regularly to do um, questioning. And um, he's in a lot of contact with John, as much as he can to try to get this case solved. Um, But as time wears on, John would start to say even more strange things about where the boys were taken. Um, Obviously, the Joanne Taylor story did not get him very far. So he starts to talk about it being an organization that he brought them to. He finally furnishes the name of this alleged organization to a reporter, Sandra Ali. He says, it's the United Foster Outreach and Underground Sanctuaries. He says that this organization took the boys to a farm along the Indiana-Ohio border, possibly to an Amish family where they could grow up away from Tanya. This organization is entirely fictitious and does not exist. Really? (laughs) Yes. When John is faced with, this doesn't exist, he then starts to tell a story about the boys being taken to live with an Amish family. And that an Amish family... In the Indiana, Ohio, Michigan kind of tri-state area, has taken in the boys, so that they can live. live. Yes, basically, so that they can live uh, away from the threat of Tanya. So, this brings us to the question of whether or not that's plausible at all. Would the Amish take three English boys, sight unseen and without question? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The answer is no. the answer is no sorry so here's the thing right so um the Amish do intermingle with English culture here and there right they shop in town they um we go to their restaurants and their grocery stores and maybe you have like an Amish built uh, bed frame you know whatever it's the midwest. if you are from
0: this region of the midwest you have seen and interacted with amish mm-hmm. people most 100%. likely so
1: i'm going to talk about what the shattered podcast did so okay. there's a, a long-form podcast from wdiv detroit uh the first season of it is called shattered um the first season of it is about the skeleton boy's disappearance one of the things that they did on that podcast is that they went to um, an Amish enclave not far from Marensi And they basically were kind of like poking around, trying to find somebody that would talk to them about just the plausibility of it. So mm-hmm. they ask, like, did, did you guys hear about this case? Can you kind of talk about, like, um, how you get information? And the Amish woman and later her father that they talked to basically say like, yeah, we have our own newspapers, essentially. This was in our news. We knew about this case happening. We felt likewise very sad about it. But that there is this awareness of the outside world, which I think busts a lot of people's myths about the Amish, right? Yes. So certainly there was an awareness. The producers of the show then go on to ask if – these people felt it was plausible that um, three boys would be taken in by an Amish family. And the subtext of that question is, would you take in three boys without reporting it to law enforcement? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is also a resounding no, that Amish, the Amish community is, lives outside of the English community, mm-hmm. but not above it in, this, in terms of the law. Yeah. So, um, although we can talk all day about um, alleged sexual abuse, animal abuse, yada, yada. Um, yeah. <laughs> for but For another day. Right. Um, and we have talked about it before um, on this show. But that there would be basically no way that the Amish would harbor known missing children uh, without alerting law enforcement. That that... There's not this sense of we're above your laws, there that yeah. that sense does not exist amongst the Amish. Um, so, and I think kind of we have romanticized, we talked about this offline, but like we romanticized yeah. this idea. I think in the Midwest that the Amish are this like completely like other society that it's is completely so exotic, off, removed, mm-hmm, and that that has no real interplay with the rest of us, and that's a very convenient story. It's a very convenient mythology for situations like this. Mm -hmm. But it is, in fact, mythological. That's not real. Um, There's an awareness. There are interactions. Uh, The level of those interactions is going to vary from community to the community. But the Amish are more concerned with what goes on and how they regulate themselves within their Mm -hmm. own belief systems uh, than they are bucking any kind of system on the outside. The Amish don't exist to be uh in opposition to or in rebellion of mainstream society
0: yeah, they're not acting as a counterculture Mm-mm. No. they're also not <clears throat> they're not freaking like north sentinel island where they just like reject and kill anybody that comes around exactly like it they interact they have stores they share resources all of this stuff with the english or us mm-hmm. um exactly and yeah, the idea that I think, because we were talking offline, I'm not going to pretend this is the first time we've been having a conversation, <laughs> but I was just watching another documentary similarly where they ask like a group of Amish people, did you, would you ever do this? Would you ever harbor? They were talking about the Timothy Pitts case. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, no, we would contact the police. Like we wouldn't we don't just take random children. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly.
1: And, you know, obviously, like what they did with the Shattered podcast was asking, um, you know, just a couple of people anecdotally their thoughts on this. It obviously was not like a a facilitated study, right, or Mm -hmm. a broad survey. But Um, I think we can trust it. I also think what was very interesting about that interview was that towards the end of it, he asked, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but he asked, if if this did happen hypothetically, if three English boys were taken in by an Amish family, Mm -hmm. would everybody else or would other people in the local Amish community know about it? And it was an immediate, of course we would. So if this did in fact happen, which it didn't, but if it did, Um, and it happened anywhere within northern indiana northern ohio southern michigan it seems as though from what they said every everyone would know about it Mm -hmm. it would be it would not be a secret kept within the community certainly
0: how how could it be they are relatively small communities Mm -hmm. like if a family showed up on your street that suddenly had three sons out of nowhere you would probably know And you'd be like, hey, where'd these kids come from? Yeah. And like they said, it was in their newspapers. Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: The the pictures of the boys were known even to them. So Mm. if those three boys showed up somewhere else, there could be contact with the police. That is very possible.
1: Yep, exactly. And, you know, for shopping, for many different reasons you know, the Amish would go into town as well and see the the missing posters and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's just... I think it's a a very convenient story if you don't take the two seconds to look slightly beneath the surface of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's just... There's nothing to substantiate that whatsoever. And there's not enough, like, ideological meat to it for us to even consider it a real possibility.
0: No. Yeah. No.
1: So... That those are John's stories. I'm going to say that John's time in prison has not been particularly pleasant. Like I said before, he's been twice denied parole. While he's been on the inside, he's given some interviews. He will write letters to reporters uh, here and there, which is where we get a lot of this kind of uh, changing story, like leaking out. He has spent a considerable amount of time in solitary. Um, he has gotten into some trouble uh, for instigating... Uh, Um, confrontations with guards particularly for example he's been in trouble for throwing food at a guard that pissed him off for whatever reason which i thought was just really interesting behavior i don't know what you make of that
0: i think it fits with the descriptor smarmy Mm -hmm. like i mean we we started off talking about his personality and him thinking that he is smarter than everybody else and manipulative and I'm not going to say I know a ton about prison culture, but a lot of it is building a reputation for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I'm not shocked by it. I mean, I don't think child killers or killers of your own children are looked upon very highly in prison. Mm
1: -mm. I think to me it communicates... I thought it was really interesting because I thought it read like... To me it read like somebody with a lot of experience being in jail. Hmm. And... It read like somebody for whom this wasn't their first time, but it was his first mm-hmm. time. Um, it makes me think that... I think it signals to me, I guess, that he was going to crack at some point on someone mm-hmm. at some point in his life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That that he was going to end up here. Whether it was against his boys, against Tanya, against somebody mm-hmm. else. I think that, that I just that behavior to me, it just... I guess in a weird way, it sounds very comfortable. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think that in some way, like, he kind of knows he belongs there. And I I realize that's a reach, but that's kind of
0: how that reads to me. (laughs) I mean, if he seems comfortable there and more power to him, I guess. But I I can see that, that he has fit in in whatever Mm -hmm. weird way there.
1: Yeah. And that he's comfortable enough to act out, I guess, is what strikes me.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, you know how I think we both have similar feelings about solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. But it's it, unethical. I'm, I'm sure it's not doing him any favors. Um, but yeah, I can see him trying to be Mr. Big Pants in prison. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. I think it's about pissing on trees, you know. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna talk for a second about
1: kind of like the the family reactions to these.
0: Um, okay, I was wondering if you were going to talk about this, yeah, 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 kind of like
1: John's parents as well as Tanya's yeah, yeah. family. Tanya has been a constant and consistent presence mm-hmm. in media about this case. She has never shied away from telling the story. She and her family um, continue to do uh, like periodic like uh, awareness. Articles in local newspaper or, like, you know, local news agencies. Mm -hmm. They have T-shirts that they wear and, like, stickers that they have, things like that. And they're extremely vocal about their skepticism towards John. Tanya has certainly said, uh, to paraphrase, like, she knows intellectually that her boys are most likely not alive. Mm. And that as a person of faith, she takes some comfort in that. Um, She also talks about how even knowing intellectually that that's the the most likely possibility, that she does still hold hope for her little boys and now grown men opening her door and saying, hey, mom, I'm home. But Mm -hmm. but she's I think she's a she's as realistic about this as a person can healthfully be, I guess, or can be expected to be, you know, given what's before her.
0: That sounds like the healthiest way to go about it. Yeah. Um,
1: and I say that, I, I emphasize that to say, like, Tanya obviously has her issues. Um, mm-hmm. She Her past is, is very problematic. But that she has never been, and uh, investigators will say this as well, that they have never gotten the impression that she's been anything but truthful with them. Lieutenant uh, Jeremy Brewer talks about admiring Tanya. So does Larry Weeks um, talk about admiring her and her character and her strength as she's moved through this and her family has really rallied around her as well. She's had to find ways to, you know, keep moving on in her life and to try to seek, you know, life after the situation mm-hmm. um, and that she's done her best to do so.
0: Yeah,
1: I find John's family extremely fascinating So John's parents um, are still in Jacksonville, Florida. And John also has one sister. Interactions between the family and media have been um, tense, I would say. (laughs) So their belief is very much that only Tanya's side has ever been privileged in the media that that's all that anybody cares about hearing or that people only care about giving Tanya the benefit of the doubt. They don't care to give John or his family the benefit of the doubt. Um, (laughs) well, I wonder why, um, John's parents. Uh, so it's John senior and Roxanne. John senior has not said quite as much as Roxanne has. Roxanne has been when asked, very vocal and adamant about the fact that she believes John. Mm -hmm. She believes that those boys are alive and well she believes that they were given to an organization that was to rescue them from Tanya she has said that she wishes that John had did it differently that he had given the boys to her um, which may have been what that attempt was to take them to Florida in September was to you know quote unquote shelter them in Florida Um, yeah and that she wishes that John had done it differently, but that she believes. And, and she, the way she talks about it, like when you hear her voice, it almost sounds like she's saying, what an idiot. Like the same way. silly like, boy. Yeah. Like if, you know, like if, um, if my husband like loaded the dishwasher wrong, it'd be like, oh, that's goofy. Um, it has like that <laughs> tone to it. He never does, by the way, if you're listening. I love you. Um, <laughs> really? Because but-
0: mine is terrible. <laughs>
1: No, I mean, I, I uh, write about how you're actually supposed to do it. And now I'm like, really, really neurotic about it. But um, I anyway. was definitely
0: a kid that got hit in the head if I loaded the dishwasher wrong. Really? Oh, yeah. You've met my dad. He's neurotic as fuck. True. Oh, I love him. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway.
1: Um, but yeah, that's been the tone of her conversations has been very much like this idiot, like, like a playful smack upside the head. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That she thinks that he did something dumb, but that she truly believes that no harm has or did befall those boys. Okay. In 2017, (sighs) a box of bones was found in a barn in Montana. Those bones were of three small children between the ages of five and 11 or 12. Though finding of those bones was kind of felt like a lightning rod to this case. There was nothing to tie John or anybody else within his bubble to Montana, but it's a hell of a coincidence for there to be the bones of three small children found, mm-hmm. um, all matching the, those ages. Testing would show in early 2018 that those bones did not belong to the skeleton boys. That has been the last kind of um, turning point in this case or the last kind of notable event in this case uh, the boys are still missing they were last seen playing in their front yard after that Thanksgiving dinner by a neighbor uh, and that was the last time anybody but John saw them so mm-hmm. what do you think happened? <sighs>
0: John killed those boys.
1: Is it even a question what happened? I mean...
0: Like... I know, obviously, we're leaving room open for whatever, but to me, there is no... There is no part in the logical side of my brain that says, oh, these boys are alive and well on an Amish farm. Mm -hmm. Like, the oldest boy was nine at the time of the disappearance he would be 22 now Mm -hmm. and those boys would have memories of their life and of their family like it's one thing we talked about timothy pitson who i believe was like four or five or something when he disappeared barely six he had just turned six okay he would n- likely would not have had a lot of solidified memories of his family. Mm-hmm. These boys at seven, eight, nine—the uh, youngest one, maybe not. Sure, but, but he's old... also presumably with his brothers, who would be exactly. also giving him that information. Exactly, the older two would have one hundred percent have had memories of their previous life, mm-hmm. and by the time they got old enough, I can't imagine them not asking questions or saying something. That time in Holiday City. (sighs) Sorry, they need to be searching every fucking square inch of the space between Michigan and Holiday City. Agreed. Like, I know that they did a relatively robust search. Like, I know we didn't talk about it too much in this presentation of it, but I know that the cops did. They had helicopters and they had, like. I mentioned it. You know. Sorry, I, I listened to a podcast a while ago and they went like really weirdly in depth about like all the different search technologies they used. Hmm. Um, but yeah, they did. They did a really in-depth search really of the local area around Michigan. I don't know. There's uh, there's so much space and people put a lot of faith in that sighting in Sandusky, but that could have been literally anything.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I mean the one thing I'll say kind of in response to that
1: is that absolutely there has been I would say as close to no stone unturned in that region as possible Mm -hmm. Um, and I think all the stops were pulled out in the ground search the air search the dog canine search Mm -hmm. for these boys Um, I think if they if they were physically in that immediate vicinity that kind of like tri-county area they would have been Mm -hmm. found um i i think it is really really difficult to benevolently disappear a child let alone three children Mm -hmm. yeah i think that there are ways that somebody could give away their children to um sex traffickers to whatever kind of insidious, quote unquote, organizations that, you know, that that seems more realistic to me than like benevolently giving them to somebody. Because I don't think anyone receiving those children benevolently would
0: conceal that. You don't take three children away from their home benevolently under the guise of this many lies. Mm -mm, You don't.
1: And if, if if you're doing so and you take John at his word, then... I mean the right the moral thing to do the ethical thing to do is to to file reports to to file CPS reports Mm -hmm. if you believe that there's real wrongdoing
0: and Um, I'm sure that they they searched like okay are there any missing persons reports are there any more like mm -hmm. you know whatever I know that there was a weird I think it was John's family that's or somebody no it might have been Tanya that suggested oh maybe they were in the Bahamas because his dad would take the boats to Bahamas for Mm -hmm. something I think that was one of
1: Tanya's kind of like hopeful.
0: Yeah, like early on hopeful things. And again, it got checked out and there's no information. There's nothing to back Mm. any of it up. It sucks. Like this case makes me mad because I feel like John has every answer in his stupid little head. Exactly. 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 So it's like, you know, we can kind of speculate
1: about what, what really happened, um, but whether or not this case is ever solved, I think depends on whether or not John Skelton ever speaks about it in any truthful or real way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that trip to Holiday City, honestly, what I think of what my brain goes to is hotels and gas stations, there are going to mm-hmm. be a lot of dumpsters. And I know that dumpsters were extensively searched in Holiday City, um, but were they searched in time? Would be a
0: different question. Exactly, exactly. And there's all of that empty space in between, mm-hmm. and especially
1: not knowing what route John took to Holiday City. If he did take that back road, that you know, the kind of back roadsy route, it it would be extremely rural, extremely dark, um, mm-hmm. pretty forested. Like, it would be a, a really, really hard place to find somebody. Because um, you said what? It was like 4 a.m.? Yeah, so his phone uh, pings at home at 429, and then it pings in Holiday City at 5 and 5.05. Yeah. But yeah, that also I, suggests that he didn't stop between home and Holiday City. I think that that's a little too tight a window. I think the stop in Holiday City is is the clincher.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I have driven 80, 90. So many times. Mm. So many times. And that drive, there is nothing between Toledo and Chicago. Mm -mm. There's nothing. Just me. Just you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really nothing
1: and nowhere, especially that stretch in Ohio mm-hmm. is, I mean, you cannot even, at least like when you get to the Indiana side, there's Angola's a decent sized town. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a couple of decent sized towns kind of on the way there. Between Toledo and the Indiana line, there's nothing. Um, and any town of any real size would involve getting off the highway and driving for a little bit more of a distance. Um mm-hmm. So there's a little bit on the Michigan side, like you'll hit like Sturgis, um, which is like an okay sized town. But there's really just nothing. There's nothing out there. Um, So I think like realistically, I think he was probably in Holiday City for about an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's an hour long enough to dump three bodies. Yes, it is. I think (laughs) so. Um, I think especially (sighs) if they were already gone when he got there. I find the house being a mess compelling, but I have an asterisk next to it for reasons I already stated. Mm-hmm. I find the noose very compelling.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I kind of wonder if he used it three times and then a fourth attempt on himself. Mm,
0: interesting. I hadn't thought about that.
1: Because I don't think that you would get a ton of physical evidence off of that.
0: I think that would yeah. be hard. It would be really hard. I mean the question was that I always had was with the rat poison because I know very similar to Timothy Pitson, he made them their favorite meal and made them mm. cake. It was and like all a nice of this night. stuff. Yeah. yeah. And he let well, them it was watch. Thanksgiving
1: a night, right? Like they had a party, basically. They had a
0: dinner yeah. party. Yeah. And he like let them watch a kung fu movie and mm-hmm. all of this stuff and just kind of live their best like little boy life.
1: Which
0: we know and is like
1: very much part and parcel with the immediate time before
0: family annihilations. Exactly, exactly. And I know there was talk about he made them a cake. Um did he poison them with that cake, mm. which we will never know until we find their bodies.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's one of those things where I think that that would be extremely damning physical evidence if they were to find bottles or exactly I mean, if and they you never poisoned did. a cake you would be able to find that in the remnants of the cake or in the dishes or whatever mm-hmm. especially knowing that the house was a mess that um it's hard to imagine that he did a spectacular job cleaning up after himself if he did that
0: yeah that's true that's very true
1: i think if that happened there would be enough evidence that he would be in jail for a much different reason
0: There'd be some kind of evidence in a cake batter or a mix or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I
1: think... I mean, it's just a hypothesis, but I think that whatever he did to them physically would be much, much harder to trace, or that the evidence of it is with their bodies. Um, Yeah. That if he did poison them, that he probably packed all of it up into his van and left. But there's also no evidence in the van.
0: Yeah. But, I don't know. I just sorry I don't I have yet to find any outside compelling evidence that he was not the one to kill them Mm -mm. like it's it's hard for me to believe that three boys could be missing 13 year going on 13 years now Mm -hmm. and not a single person has come forward again and again like We started this talking about a woman who found her parents after 51 years of being kidnapped. Mm -hmm. But, again, there there was always room for extreme cases, but damn.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's always room for the extreme, but there's also the middle of the bell curve, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Where?
1: and, And somebody has to be on the ends, but a lot more of us have to be in the middle.
0: Yep. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I don't say that to... Be like, you know, to be super damning about it. Like you said, there's always space for outliers, there's always space for extreme possibility. I just think if we're looking at the most logical c- conclusion here, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it would take for John Skelton to ever be truthful about this. I think it would probably take just knowing that he's a manipulative guy, that he thinks he's very clever. <laughs> I think it would have to take being faced with irrefutable evidence of his own wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. Um, I do. I think the suicide attempt is really interesting. I think I wonder if he meant to do it. I mean, at first when it happened, I thought it was maybe a a stunt for attention or... um, Or just for some reason, like, not a sincere attempt. And that was, I know, the interpretation of many, um, Mm -hmm. which were very outspoken about it, you know, uh, in the media in general. that um, And I saw one interview where a reporter, a crime analyst, just thought, like, who fails at that? Like, how do you not get that done? Um, Uh, But in truth, the vast majority of people? The vast
0: majority of attempts do not go to completion.
1: I was going to say, whoever
0: commented that is... a. Sorry, fucking idiot, yeah, no,
1: they're a monster <laughs> for other reasons, but yeah, um, but i I do kind of i wonder if he meant to go through with that. I think he probably d- maybe he did you know
0: i this is purely a gut feeling, I think that he did, i mean, we've seen so many family annihilation cases where that is the case, and they do mm-hmm. end up completing suicide, um and somewhere they don't they attempt, but whatever happens, I think it was probably a legitimate attempt. Mhm,
1: yeah, I think it I think it was too, and I think the fact that it was the fact that it didn't work also makes me wonder, did he use the rope before, and it was loose by then, mm. which I know is a stretch, but You know, just kind of grasping at whatever scenario makes sense here. That that is kind of what just like what logically with what evidence we actually know exists, it it makes sense to me to think about it along those lines. But will he ever will he ever say anything? Will he ever confess? I think that like I said, I think he'd have to be faced with his own damnation in order for that to happen.
0: I was gonna say I I have the sense that his ego is too big for him to confess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that we're wrong about that. I hope that he has a, a sincere and dramatic change of heart,, um, especially when he is out in a couple of years. I hope that I hope it's a sea change for him.
0: i I would hope that, but then again, like that would also include the time that if he's out and he admits it, then there's more charges. Yeah, he's going right back in, so why would he,
1: right? Yeah. Um, you just hope that somebody's guilt is bigger than their ego. I hope. Yep. Genuinely hope. <laughs> Me too. So, I mean, that is where... I think the story kind of ends for now. It ends with an ellipsis because it's an unsolved story. We don't know. We don't know in truth where they are. We don't know what happened to them. I think that I know that we should hold space for them, mm-hmm. um, that we should be thinking of them, that we should be um, connecting with the cosmos on their behalf in whatever way we choose to do so. Um, and then I think that those little boys should be memorialized and thought of um, mm-hmm as often as we
0: have space to do so. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really hope that those boys are found.
1: Me too. Me too. And I know that investigators are sincerely hopeful that even this time later that somebody's memory will jog, that they saw John somewhere, that they saw him in Holiday City, that they saw him maybe on a country back road or what have you. Um, They have said that as recently as um, 2018, 19, 19. Uh, The hope that somebody's memory just like, oh, yeah, I did see something weird or that somebody Mm -hmm. stumbles upon the story and remembers something odd that they saw in 2010
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, or odd that they heard, you know, up until then or what have you. So there I think investigators still have hope for cracking this case, which I always appreciate.
0: Yeah.
1: And it doesn't seem hopeless. It doesn't seem like it's one of those ones where the files are just like collecting dust somewhere. I think there's there's active interest in this case. Uh, well and all the players
0: day. are still alive. Mm-hmm. Like John is still alive, Tan is still alive, the fam- all the families are still alive. There's gotta be somebody out there mm-hmm. that knows something. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. So why don't you tell us about next week? So next week we have another unsolved case. Mm. <laughs> Unfortunately um we actually have a dough case next week really yeah it's been a hot minute since we did a dough case mm, i've um, been thinking about one too which dough are you doing so we are going to be doing the saint louis case of little jane Doe, oh, also God. known as precious hope mm-hmm. you know this one i saw that phase
1: yeah i honestly i just got goosebumps It yeah, is I, I know this very
0: well it's um it's hard it's hard it's hard, it's hard. Yeah. Um, it is still unsolved. It is one of the oldest unsolved cases in St. Louis history. And we've been doing a lot of small towns and kind of drive-through towns. So we're going to go back to doing an urban case. So we'll be in St. Louis um, talking about Little Jane Doe. Hmm. Well, I I know it's a tough case, but I look
1: forward to hearing your take on it. And I also... Um, I'm sure I'll say this next week, too, but I think the recent just complete uptick in solutions to dough cases, especially older ones, um, is really hopeful. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll talk all about it. Oh, we will. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. Well, with that, friends, uh, in the meantime, please connect with us. Talk to us on the socials. We love to hear from you. We love case suggestions. We love. Love. Um, we love love. <laughs> we do. Um, and if nothing else. We love five-star reviews. We do. Um. But we also just love knowing that you're out there. So, you know, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rolling with us through some really tough cases. I know that this one's tough. This one was tough for me. I had a really hard time with it. I... Um, there were many circumstances that made our recording at our scheduled times really, really hard. But I think there was also a little part of me that was like kind of avoiding talking about it because it's hard. So, it,
0: yeah, that's yeah. fair. So, that's thanks. Fair. For we are humans with us. at the end of the day.
1: Yes, we are. We are, in fact. <laughs> so as please such. remember that. The, Even the if we sound is, like robots
0: sometimes, the voices talking to you on your computer, stereo, or and or phone are, in fact, humans.
1: Yes, we are, in fact, humans. <laughs> with our own emotional worlds so so yeah uh connect with us talk to us uh keep loving us we'll keep loving you man
0: (laughs) take care (laughs) of yourself and each other indeed (laughs) we love you (laughs) we love you
1: guys (laughs) bye
0: Yes, and all of that I drank my entire beer. Well, it, okay. <laughs> Do you need another one? Uh, you know what, we've waited this long, I'm gonna go back. It'll be two it'll it'll be ninety seconds. You can time me. That's fine. I will actually time you.
1: <laughs> that was an impressive twenty one seconds fuck yes okay so now you are ready i'm ready you're ready let's do this i'm ready you're ready let's do this